In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Even though we soon take our leave of Christmas tide, this week we conclude with the Feast of the Purification, this Friday evening. And so we celebrate this feast for a full 40 days, as the Church wishes us to do, which is why we still have the trees and the crash up. Nevertheless, this happens many years, this intersects with a distant reminder already of the season of penance that is coming. And so the words that greet us in today's Mass, which is celebrated in violet, are the words of the psalmist, the groans of death have encircled me, and the sorrows of hell have encompassed me. It is perhaps not evident right away what the Church wishes us to understand by these words today. However, a deeper study of our sacred liturgy reveals that this is none other than the voice of Adam himself. For today we begin to read in the night office of the church from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, especially of the fall of man. And we are reminded that death, which is so much in our minds, on this pro-life weekend was not meant to be. Not only did God in his infinite love choose to share his love by creating us, by endowing us with a spiritual soul to animate a material body, he made that spiritual soul capable of enjoying divine life. And so, from the very beginning of mankind, God invited us to share in his life by giving us grace and preserving us from death and suffering. And man chose from the beginning to reject these free gifts of God. Today we are reminded above all that death is the consequence of sin. And if death is the consequence of sin, then life can in the end only be the consequence of Christ. And so to be pro-life must always in the end lead to being pro-Christ. For we may well ask, why is every life precious? We live in a frightening age where technology now makes it possible not only to know so much about the life of unborn children, but also as a consequence of that knowledge, not to respect and love that life, but rather to make ghastly decisions about who should live and who should die. So much so that certain physical defects, certain ailments which our parents and grandparents knew well, encountered people with such conditions, 
might soon be nothing but a distant memory or a rumor to our children and grandchildren. For science now gives us the power to make the most frightful decisions about whether people who are judged to have certain defects would be better off never enjoying this gift of life. That is why in the end the only sure standing, the only sure ground for being pro-life is being pro-Christ. Only if we understand that every life is precious because it has been created by God, but also because it has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Only then can we truly understand why all life must be respected and preserved. Furthermore, as we declare ourselves fervently today to be pro-life, especially because we are pro-Christ, let us not endure any of the objections raised by the world today that we are simply pro-birth rather than pro-life, that by all means we are concerned with the sanctity of life from the moment of conception until it leaves the womb, but after that we are not found to be caring for how those lives fare in this cruel world. No, the Church has always insisted that to be pro-life means not only to work to ensure that all life may come into this world and leave this world by natural means, but that rather all life that comes into this world should be properly cared for, which means ultimately brought to the sacrament. And this is why whenever the Church has traditionally spoken about the issue of life, she has not done so except in the context of holy Christian marriage, for the two cannot be separated. It is true that 50 years ago there was an encyclical entitled Humane Vitae, which began speaking very specifically about the issues of life. But this encyclical was nevertheless in the tradition of others, especially one a generation before by Pius XI, entitled Casti Canubii, Chase Wedlock. There can be no defense of life without a defense of true marriage. And indeed in our dark times we know that Sister Lucy of Fatima spoke to Cardinal Kafara, whose untimely death only a few months ago we still deeply lament, and saying to him that the last battle between Christ and his church and the devil would be over marriage and the family. Surely none of us can doubt today that we are at this very moment waging that last battle. And yet I do not doubt that 
within this very congregation, there are many who suffer at this moment from deep discouragement and are perhaps even at this moment asking the question, if that is really true, why does it seem then that everywhere, even within the true church herself, we seem to be declaring a truth in this culture war? Why does it seem that all we hear is that, yes, we must respect unborn life, we must work to an end to abortion, but we mustn't talk about these things too much. Yes, indeed, it seems that up till now, the Church has insisted that mother and father must, at every moment of their married life, be completely open to life. But surely today, we cannot simply declare such a thing so absolutely, for surely some compromises will have to be made in view of so many difficult situations faced by married couples today. Finally, as we witness the collapse of marriage, more dramatic even than the decline of priestly and religious vocations, and critics of the Church unfortunately rightly point out that Catholics have led the way on this due to the fact that over half of Catholic marriages end in divorce. Surely even here it would be more honest to admit that now there are certain situations which, yes, viewed from afar, might easily be condemned, but in reality must now be accepted. And so such persons who have abandoned their marriage and entered into another must be allowed, even if they persist in doing so and in leading such a contradiction of their marriage publicly, must be allowed to receive Holy Communion. How difficult for a priest to respond to such objections. After all, can't anyone claim that a preacher stands here in nothing more than a coward's castle, as the pulpit has sometimes been decried? After all, here in this venue, politeness forbids anyone from objecting to anything the preacher has to say. All who might disagree must do so quietly. And, after all, preaching here within these four walls, am I not simply preaching to the choir? Many of you know my response to that. Of course I preach to the choir, but I preach to a choir which, however lovely it may sound, is, in the end, an amateur choir. It is a choir in need of training, continued training, continued reminders. I speak to you today from this pulpit because you are the ones on the front line of this battle. You are the ones 
who are the sign of contradiction in our world today. By living the gospel which you have received. And so I wish to offer you words of encouragement today and declare to you with the Holy Apostles that if ever we or any other preacher, even any prince of the church, should declare to you a gospel other than the one which you have received and preach to you a faith and tradition other than the one which you know has been handed down from Christ through the apostles, let him be anathema. For we know our faith, we know our gospel. We know that Christ himself has said and declares again on every marriage day at the nuptial mass, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. We know that any taking of innocent life is a sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance. And furthermore, that any profaning of the married life by barring it from being completely open to procreation, to cooperating with God in the creation of new life, any such act is, in the eyes of God, an abomination. This is our faith, this is our gospel, and let us never receive any other. For we know that our Lord alone has given us the words of eternal life. All that the gospel of the world can offer us is momentary gratification, and in the end, eternal misery. But we know that if we persevere in the word of Christ, no matter what hour we may come to the vineyard, if we persevere until the end, we shall obtain, after all the sufferings of this life, after all the mockery we endure for being truly committed to the sacredness of life, we shall obtain a crown of everlasting glory. Amen.